0: Welcome to Beyond Medicine. My name is Rami Webby. I'm the host of the podcast. I'm a physician with a particular interest in healthcare innovation, building a better healthcare experience, and overall health and well-being. In this podcast, we bring you inspiring leaders from across the medical landscape to help us build a better medicine and lead a better life. We hope you enjoy What's up, Dr. Sigmund?
1: Everything is up when I'm next to you, brother. How are you? It is a pleasure
0: to be back in your house. Thank you very much. Um, we got the new, we got the new location here. Uh, we're just kind of we're in a studio right now. We got a nice view of Boston and. Uh, it's good to see you again. So for people that don't know, you were one of the first people I ever recorded a podcast with.
1: Yeah, way back when. How long ago was that? A couple of years ago
0: now. So I was still a medical student. So I was in my 4th year of medical school, the end of at the end of the at the end of the road. Before I had ever any inkling I would end up in Boston, you know, by some miraculous journey I ended up here and you know, it's been kind of cool because you were the like I think you're the fourth person I might have recorded a podcast with. We did an episode with you and it went pretty viral. Well, dude,
1: it's like you had the fro, man. It was like it was early frodom, I gotta say that. I mean, it wasn't like I was my brand and my reputation and all the things that I was doing was still developing, but uh it was awesome to be asked, and uh, you just you just went off, man, from there. And the next thing you know, you're in my kitchen hanging out and having dinner. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know?
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's funny because you, I mean, you and your wife uh, were very kind to host me. I think it was for your birthday, right? Yeah, yeah you, birthday were, birthday. you were in Worcester. You're yeah. working
1: your ass off. You're in residency. You don't yeah. get a home-cooked meal very often. Yeah. And it was time for a little birthday celebration. I was like, come and meet my kids. Come meet my wife. Come meet my yeah. dog and hang out.
0: Yeah. I brought you some tequila.
1: You did bring some tequila, man. It's uh, it's not my usual weapon of choice, but uh, <laughs> but it's still uh it's still there ready for more action when needed.
0: <laughs> oh man, you're 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 an entertainer, Dr. S- Dr. Sigmund. So like if any So you started the podcast after we did our first recording.
1: Yeah, no, it was yeah. well after that. I mean, yeah. I you know, it was funny People sort of knew me and I like to have a lot of fun and it's about relationships yeah. and, and all of that. And somebody told me I had a good radio voice and, mm-hmm. and then I was like, well, you know, I got a lot to say and you know, why not, why not try and get in the, in the podcast thing? But they kind of found me. It was, it was interesting. We were out at a meeting uh, last December before the days of COVID mm-hmm. when you could still get together in society meetings. And, yeah. and it was just like you, I mean, they found me and they said, we want to do a podcast. We did the podcast together and it was like one of their most popular podcasts at like 10,000 views, which was really unusual. Uh-huh. And so the Ortho Show team said, hey, you know, we really like that. You know, maybe we can come out to Ortho Laser, which is one of my other gigs. And mm-hmm. we'd love to check that out because it seems kind of cool. And maybe we'll do a little thing on Ortho Laser. I said, great. So we're like, why don't we do this in March? And then I guess the Rona hit. And then after that, we decided <laughs> uh, that was probably not wise. So. But then we started like, well, you know, what if we sort of did like a little collaboration and maybe you could be the host? And I said, why not, man? This is something I've been thinking about. Yeah. And we signed up for like a 10, you know, a 10 podcast, you know, gig. And uh, it took off. And then we all got together and said, we really like each other. Let's make a partnership out of this and let's do it for real.
0: Yeah. What, what opportunities have you noticed come up just from having a show and like talking to people and putting, putting content out there in your space?
1: It's all relationships, man. I've always been a relationship guy my entire life, right? Mm-hmm. You never know how you're going to run into someone later in life who you know, along the lines helped you. And then I'm all about trying to help others today. Even today, for example, I was on with a, a doc, Kevin Cruz, who's got this awesome new idea for this rotator cuff repair thing. He's got this little cool widget that like makes it easy. Yeah. And he's like, Scott, you know, what do you think of this? And I'm like, wow, that sounds kind of cool. Yeah. I said, you know something? I'm going to call, like, the senior vice president of Smith & Nephew, and I'm going to get you guys together. I emailed them, and even on the ride down here, they're already connected. So that wow. shit's cool, right? Yeah. You're really, you really you help others. You never know when they're going to help you. And, and that's what the podcast is about, man. We're all about, you know, we call it the best of the best in the orthopedic space, and it's really allowing really cool, unique people in the orthopedic world to be able to tell their stories. We don't advertise. We're not selling shit. You know, it's really about – tell us your amazing, unique story. And I just love having those conversations.
0: Yeah. hundred percent. It's, it's, it's so, it's like you meet someone and they've got this interesting story and they're doing something, you know, that's really inspiring to you. And then collaboration happens, you know, either you help connect them to somebody, just like you said, and things go from there. And that's honestly, that's one of my favorite parts about doing this podcast. It's just that I never know what I'm going to get. Like, I, I never know, like, like the person I'm talking to right now, like in the future, like, is this someone like, how do these relationships play out? Like, how do they like 100%. unfold?
1: 100%, you know, and, and you don't do it on purpose
0: for that. It's not exactly. like,
1: oh, I'm going to interview this guy so that maybe I get something cool out of it exactly. later on in life. It's yeah. not that, but exactly. it is, you know, we, we hired this cool, we call him the bearded one. His name is Matthew, Ray, <laughs> Matthew Ray Scott, and he's, he's the feed agency and he's the new uh, marketing guy for us for Ortholaser. Ortholaser's taken off. We can talk a little bit about that. Yeah. But but we were having this conversation the other day, and it's like when you develop these relationships with people, you start taking on a larger persona. You know, you're perceived as 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 someone who's there to play. You're at the table to innovate, to create, and be a part of something bigger than you are. Yeah. And it becomes just natural. Then you're there. Yeah. You're part of the process. You don't have to ask for it. You're yeah. not knocking on doors. It's just this natural, organic way in which you, your reputation, and your brand can develop over time.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and you, I mean, you have the, I, I remember when I first recorded with you, I was like, man, you need, a, you need to have your own podcast because you got to, you have the podcast personality, you know, like you're fun to listen to. And that was one of the things with that, with that episode we recorded, I was like, damn, you know, like this, this conversation was so fun to listen to because- It wasn't – you know, one thing that I really noticed when I was a med student and all the content that doctors were putting out was like they had this – Boring as shit. Yeah, they had this format that was just unbelievably – And it's
1: the voice, the monotone voice, and you're talking data and research and bullshit. Who the fuck wants to listen to that? (laughs) You know, we want to have something fun. I want to know, like, what's going on in your life, man? Like, tell me about the most interesting part of your life and – and these just larger-than-life people that you exactly. interview who have done and, – and, you know, I think I'm like, hey, I'm kind of a big deal. You know, I've done some pretty cool shit in my life. You but, have. But, yeah. but, no, some of these docs that have been on the show were like, they're like writing full books at the age of 35. 100%. They have 250 publications. Yeah, or, I saw that. Or, you know, I'm like,
0: guy. my God, man. I'm like, yeah. I feel small, you know? Well, that's the thing. You meet people – everybody's doing something unique, and there's always – you know, an, an unraveling of people's stories—that's so fun. And I—and this is the thing. Like when I first started this, I'm like, why is everything so boring? Why doesn't someone just come on with a personality and talk to me about this stuff that could be incredibly interesting? But just needs someone that can actually be interesting. Like I don't, I don't. Something about academia, and I, it's starting to change. But it was just like, it's like you ask interview-style question, and then you have to sound really intellectual and describe it in this intellectual way with big words and i'm like okay th- you know that's nice but let's just let's just be ourselves here and not trying to sound super smart and try to have a conversation and have fun about with this
1: do you have you ever seen the uh, show somebody feed phil it's uh it's on netflix it's the guy that was the producer for everybody loves raymond he's absolutely hysterical he's like this nebbishy jewish guy and yeah. he just runs around the world with a full production crew And he's just eating the most amazing food and meeting the most amazing people. (laughs) And at the end of every show, he always has his mother and his father on. He does like a FaceTime gig for them so that he can say, hey, what's going on, mom and dad? So they're like hysterically cute. Uh, But the point is, is like now every show that I do, I'm like, all right, dude, my mother's listening. You've got to be able to explain this in a way that average people can understand and hear it. Because Mm -hmm. you know, unless your podcast is just so narrow You're only going to be talking to anesthesiologists about anesthesia. Mm -hmm. But if you want to entertain people, and and as fellow podcasters, we both know, the best podcasts are when you have a great podcaster like us and then an amazing guest. Mm -hmm. And then you get the interaction that goes back and forth, and it draws people in, and you don't want to stop. You want to keep listening. And so those are the best episodes. And there's some dry people out there, but, you know, you can bring them along a little bit. You you can
0: make this freaking – wall right here sound interesting oh,
1: no. <laughs> by the way i love this space we're at the work bar down here in boston on boylston street and like we're literally looking outside unfortunately boston is a complete <laughs> ghost town i'm like literally you can see those tumbleweeds blowing a us right Seriously, now it's kind of bizarre i got a parking spot on boylston <laughs> right yeah. next to where we're, we're uh we're taping that's like impossible unheard of
0: yeah, i parked right right in front of the building too and like there was nobody here
1: yeah it's uh it is a strange strange time at this point right now but hopefully we'll uh you know we're in the medical world we've been vaccinated and hopefully we're gonna start moving around a little bit but i'm completely convinced yeah. it ain't ever going back you know, I know to what it was before
0: yeah it's it's eerie it's eerie like i remember when i first moved here and i'd walk around this street in particular just like nowhere to park and people were just even in the winter time, people were just walking, you know, going through places doing stuff. And, uh, I, I don't know. It's just, I think, I think I'm just, uh, I'm curious to like how things are going to unfold. Like what's the world going to be like post COVID,
1: you know? It's hard to know. I mean, I, I, you know, it's funny. We were talking about this before we started recording, but, uh, you know, for Laser, I'm also the chief medical officer of this thing called ortholaser with big laser centers for the listeners. And, uh, you know, pre, pre-COVID, pre we were really sort of doing okay, but we, you know, we're sort of trying to gain traction. But mm. post-COVID, the world's just a different place now, you know? I mean, doctors are not nearly as busy as they were. Patients are wanting to try and avoid surgery. Um, and so everybody's like, what are the other options? What's available? I think that's the real benefit. That's what's going to be the positive coming out of COVID. People are going to be a little bit more plastic, yeah. a little bit more relaxed, a little bit more trying to think about new ways of doing things, yep. because anyone that thinks that we're just going to turn the lights on and just go back to where we were, you know, in January of two thousand, uh, you know, twenty, it's just it's just not it's happening.
0: Not happen. yeah. yeah, yeah, and there's there's going to be new opportunities. One hundred percent, like so many new opportunities.
1: What's your vision, man? Where are you seeing it? What are you looking for? Yep. You know, what you entrepreneurs out there? There's definite opportunities, and I yeah. I know, like I look at this generation of kids that these, you know. I've got 18 year old twins and a 16 year old man. They're in the penalty box of remote learning. (laughs) Right. And it sucks. And like, they're not going to have a prom and they're not playing football and you know, all this shit going on in their lives. But you know, they're going to be a resilient generation. I am convinced of it. They are going to be able to think outside the box. They're not going to tolerate this shit. They're not going to let it happen to them again. You know, what can we do to make sure that we get back to some sort of normalcy as we move on? And that, and that will take place over decades, but I think it should be really interesting to follow that.
0: Yeah, I think that uh, I think that I think entrepreneurs right now, especially in the physician doctor space, are going to be the game—the people that change, make the biggest change. You know, the people that are thinking of how to create a better healthcare system, how to solve the problems that we have right now, how to um, you know create better experiences for patients for ourselves like technology man i think we're in the most exciting time right now honestly like it's so exciting because all this new technology is really empowering for the the individual you know it's taking power away from the institutions from the com- the big companies and it's putting power in the players hands and dude
1: you uh, sound like a revolutionary start <laughs> the revolution well in a way in a way
0: in a way i am trying to create a bit of a doctor revolution you know to because I really believe this. I think in the next 20 years, what's going to happen is that everybody, every physician is going to be a solo uh, practicing provider, a freelancer in a sense. And because there's going to be so much technology and tools, it's not going to make sense to to pay all these middlemen and have all this infrastructure and do all, everything's going to be super lean. And the doctor, the freelancer is going to be the person that owns their own practice that has uh, their own patient base, and they are, um, you know, not confined to the limits of what today's modern doctor patient relationship.
1: Is. Yeah. I mean, the rules are changed. Yeah. They just are even take a look at telemedicine, which for was the stupidest thing on the planet that you couldn't talk, you know, tell me a lawyer that doesn't, you know, charge for their time when you call them. Oh no, 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 no problem. You have to come in and, in person, you know, to be seen, but I'll talk to you all day long on the phone. I won't charge you. I mean, look, yeah. it's our time. It's our energy. Yeah. It's freed up patients. Now, instead of having to spend two and a half hours on a, on a mid afternoon to come in for a doctor's appointment, you sit in your office, you close the door. And you have a 15 minute call and the whole thing is done. It's a beautiful transaction. It really helps the patients. It actually helps the doctors to be more efficient. And so those are the things that are open. And now the technology is sort of jumping and growing in. We we coined a term at OrthoLaser where we call it orthopreneurs. You know, yeah. we're looking for orthopedic surgeon, entrepreneurs, or innovative thought leader guys who who can see that outside the box and, and try new things and, you know, I tell you, you know. Every, do you know Rogers Curve? The Rogers Curve is the the curve of innovation, where you sort of have to go over a chasm to be able to get to mainstream, so that you capture people or start thinking about new ideas. And it's the innovator thought leaders that that start the idea, and then you have to get people that sort of believe, and then finally gets to sort of mainstream. And it's a it's a difficult process to be able to jump and leap that chasm, uh, and always requires failure. Yeah. Along the way, you know, entrepreneurs, it's two steps forward, one step back. There's always failure. You have to have courage to get up and get going and move again and, and yeah. continue with your idea. But I I completely believe with that, that you're absolutely dead on that as we move into this new era post-COVID, technology, innovation, new ideas are really going to take hold and break the foundation of how medical care is delivered.
0: Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and I think I think a lot of people aren't ready for that, to embrace that. I think, especially in our physician space, I think that I think I think I think a lot of uh, physicians aren't ready to embrace that new world that we're inevitably going to go into. Like on Clubhouse the other day, I was in a conversation. All right, stop, stop, <laughs> just stop. All right, so before we, before we
1: started taping, you know. So Robbie sends me this goddamn app I don't know like 3 weeks ago. I'm like you got to join the clubhouse. I'm like what the fuck is the clubhouse? But I'm like all right, you know, I'm kind of I'm kind of into it. I'm the fro. I've got a responsibility to stay ahead of the curve. So I joined this thing. I still have no idea what we're supposed to do with it, but we decide we're going to be super smart. We're going to come in, we're going to set up our own room in the clubhouse, and then we're just going to do the show, right? And then we're just going to go live, and then hopefully everybody <laughs> will jump on in. <laughs> we can't get the damn thing working. And, but, you know, it's like, well, we got it working, and we had, like, two friends that were able to jump on Well, with the us. thing is,
0: well, it's in beta. Te- they're still, like, doing beta testing, so there's still a lot of bugs. And, like, for whatever reason, it, my clubhouse has been working perfect up until now. And... Um, I guess it just wouldn't. like I kept getting a 404 error message. Then.
1: Listen, Clubhouse people, <laughs> get your shit together. You you know, we're kind of a big deal here. we we were trying to promote your thing. I'm still not sure what it is. I'd love somebody to explain it to me better. I'm sure at one point or another, I will be a huge Clubhouse fan. But uh, the fro is there if you want to follow us. And me and Robbie, we're going to set up another room sometime. I think for sure.
0: Yeah, we'll we'll definitely be able to do that again. Um, but yeah, so. So I think I think that uh so like I was having this conversation on Clubhouse with this guy. Like uh it's crazy because like you get in these rooms with people who are just geniuses. Like there are like it's like people you'd never like I was in a conversation with like some like AI genius like in in San Francisco who built like but like Google executives, like you never know who you're gonna end up in rooms with and sometimes they invite you up to speak. So I'm just sitting here, like talking to three guys who are reinventing, you know, like creating the next AI future. And they're talking about, um, well, the future, um, doctors will be replaced by robots in the future. Um, and they're working on it. And they're building the AI to do it.
1: Perfect. I can <clears throat> sit at home. I can play Xbox with my kids. <laughs> and the robot can take care of the patients.
0: <laughs> well, well, this is the conversation. So me, like, there was a couple of physicians in the room. And we were all, um, you know, really fired up. Like, like everybody was like, you know, uh, you know, these three guys who are, you know, technically geniuses, talking about the future of the healthcare delivery model, how AI is just going to make things so much simpler, um, and everything is replaceable by technology, including the doctor. And, and um, you know, they thought, like, this is maybe 20, 30 years away where we have, a, you know, a, an AI that can deliver healthcare much better than a doctor can. But I said, you know, I think, I think look, I think technology is going to replace a lot of what we do, um, and it's going to make a lot of what we do easier, simpler. It can be a really good adjunct. It can be helpful. But I think that one thing that... I really don't buy into yet is that doctor-patient relationship. I don't know. I think that's the one thing that people really want and value, and especially over periods of time, that doctor-patient. Even
1: Bones on the Star Trek episode, which is one of my favorite episodes, they come back from the future down into like into the 80s or 90s. And there's this woman sitting on a stretcher and, and he's like, why are you here? And she says, well, I'm here for a kidney transplant. He's like, Oh, my God, that's archaic. Take one of these pills. And then the next scene, he, he's moving away, and you can see the woman running down the hallway. He cured my kidney with a pill. He cured my <laughs> kidney with a pill. The point is, is that still Bones gave the pill. I mean, I think doctors have to have a role. Do we have robots in surgery now? We totally have robots yeah. in surgery. But at the end of the day, the surgeon is still there the interaction that we have to have from human being to human being, we demand relationships. That's our species. It's in our genetic code. That can never be given up. If you look, you know, through the pandemic, some of the, some of the side things that have happened, right? The opioid crisis is still through the roof. It's the unforgotten crisis in the setting of COVID because people are depressed. There's no contact at home and they're increasing opioid consumption, depression, and all those things. We, as a species, need human contact i have no problem with ai taking over a lot of roles and things that we do but at the end of the day you know we still have to be you know in touch 100 yeah and
0: that's and that was the point i made and i think uh, a couple of the other physicians in the room applauded me on that point like look we need to have there that's one thing that technology won't be able to replace and i think that look it'll solve a lot of problems um, but at the end of the day, people are always going to prefer to have a human being who, who they form a relationship with. And they want to like, if you see, like, I'm sure you have patients right now that have been with you for a long time that will never see another orthopedic surgeon. Like no matter what, they yeah, will never leave you because you've built that relationship with them. And they have established that care and that trust. And they, they don't want to see anybody else. They will not.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, you know, those guys may have been in that chat room, so now I'm sort of getting it. Okay, so I understand the clubhouse now. You can hang out with like people from all different walks that may actually talk to you, which is kind of cool, uh, uh, I would say. And uh, sure. but at the end of the day, you need to have real live, you know, CEOs that understand human beings. And so those are the those are the great companies, right? Yeah. You take technology and then you apply it, but you still have the human, you know, the, the human factor. Yeah. So maybe these guys were just like super genius. Rama guys that basically had these great ideas but it'll have to be dialed in where we have to be included I
0: would think yeah I think I think I think there will always be collaboration um but it's just it's just for me it was an eye-opening you know conversation about the future and and I think technology is just being accelerated so fast that I think um I think we're just learning now like how like Just in the last two years, you know, like so much tech has come out, like for empowering doctors, like all these virtual platforms now, like um, there's uh, just, I I was researching this because I was really interested in it, but all these tech platforms that allow doctors to see patients digitally now. been a huge boom in it
1: like you could follow them for physical therapy at home now you basically not just you know seeing once every six weeks you can see a track record of what they're doing yeah you can make sure that they're doing their exercises for example in our space yeah so yeah i mean technology you know for technology's sake alone is not good technology for the advancement of what we are trying to accomplish within medicine is fantastic and so but you know technology can be can be difficult so Mm -hmm. for example you know, we're going to have to change to our third electronic medical record at my hospital yeah. because they're joining this other group and now we have to be a part of this whole. So now it's like spending all this time with button clicks and all the things that we do. The sort. best thing that I have done in clinical practice yeah. in the last 10 years is I hired a scribe. Hi, Cassie. <laughs> Cassie, you're the best. You're, she's about ready to graduate. The grasshopper's ready to graduate. But, but she's she's like this Mensa candidate from Amherst College. She's yeah. in her senior year, amazing soccer player. And she took a year off because she didn't want to sit doing remote stuff. And she called me and said, can I work with you? Because I want to maybe do like orthopedics. Yeah. And so now it's, a, it's exactly what you were just talking about instead of me sitting behind a computer and clicking buttons and not looking at a patient face-to-face and having interaction, yeah. Cassie does all that. She's learning a shit ton from me. She's got this great internship yeah. and she's going to write a paper with me. So she's all good. Yeah. And now I can basically have more intimate time with the patients and I'm more relaxed because mm-hmm. I'm not doing all that stuff. Yeah. has to be a balance. I completely agree. Yeah. You know, I've been involved in all this technology of inventing new products and And things and the worst products that come out in the orthopedic space Mm -hmm. are the ones that are designed by engineers and engineers alone. Yeah. You gotta have a pilot. If you're gonna build an airplane, you gotta have a test pilot and you gotta have an engineer. So when you have both of those things that come together, then you make really cool stuff. And so, you know, if you got these high tech guys out in Silicon Valley coming up with really cool ideas and they're not including the doctors in the conversation and it's in the medical space. Yeah. It may not be such a great idea.
0: Right. Well, that's what they're doing now. So there's this whole new space and essentially a new career for doctors. Um, one that I'm interested in, too, and it's this advising healthcare, this physician advisor role in tech companies. Because these tech companies are developing these things and, you know, some of them are strictly tech guys without like a expert founder um, or a physician founder that really understands the dynamics of healthcare. Right. So now there's this opportunity where we come in and we partner with these uh, really smart tech guys that know how to build great technology and we help direct that flow of like this is what could be really helpful this was this is what could make the experience better for doctors this is what could make the experience better for patients and saw so, like all, like I like I've just been entrenched in this dude make sure right you now.
1: get your ass paid I'm serious yeah. about this I mean you know I had Ben Schwartz on on the podcast and he's a top LinkedIn voice yeah. He's an orthopedic surgeon here in Massachusetts. You maybe should have him on too. He's really into yeah, the tech space. To. And so he really, really gets it. And uh he had a we wrote a really nice piece on LinkedIn, which is, you know, you need to do this. You need to include the doctors. You better pay them for their time. Yeah. You know, give them an investment opportunity, maybe, but still pay them for their time if they're gonna do this for you know in a collaborative way in which you're gonna have success. So yeah. you know, make sure you get the coin.
0: Yeah, and uh and there I think That's like a new potential. That's a new. That's like an evolving field right now. I think it's going to grow big time. Where like doctors are just going to go and strictly do advising in a way.
1: Some of them don't even go go into practice. I mean, there's some of these docs that go get an MD Mm -hmm. and then they roll right into an MBA and then they're running around, you know, doing all kinds of cool stuff. I was just uh, listening to uh, Guy Raz on a podcast with a doc that was some in a similar situation to that. So. You know, it's just there's a lot of great opportunities, but that's, that's entrepreneurial thinking for a doctor, right? You're maybe not be starting a business, but it's an entrepreneurial thought process to Mm -hmm. want to do something in a new and unique way or use your brain in a new and and unique way.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and there, there is like, you know, you, you want people that can create something from nothing, you know, like you want to be able to envision the future of how things can get better and I think there's a couple pitfalls to all of this technology too right now. Um, and it's that, uh, I think I think there's a lot of easy, like there's a lot of technology being developed that can quickly like fill a gap in a problem and and develop like a really great technology that can make a lot of money, right? And these are the things like these VC guys, these big investors, they want something that's gonna make money, right? But a lot of the problems in healthcare right now are problems that aren't going to just make money, right? Like if we're going to really address an issue and try to solve it, it's not going to be a short-term fix that's going to make a lot of money. You know, it's going to be one of those things that's going to take a lot of investment, a lot of effort. And over time, if you do it right, it could be, it'll make money. Um, But I think that there's like this dichotomy between doing something that's mission-based and that's going to solve a real problem. That's going to take a lot of effort and a lot of money to do that. And, you know, over 15, 20 years, 10 years, whatever, you can do it. Or there's the other route where it's like, you know, we're not really solving these huge problems, but we're solving a small problem and it's going to make a lot of money and it's investable. And, and so these VC, these investors are, you know, like they have a format. They have a, they have like, they have like guidelines for what they want to invest. Yeah. In. They
1: want to make money. They want to make money in a short time period. These people yeah. are not long-term planners. VC is not about changing humanity by creating a, you know, a new way to, 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 to monitor patients over 20 years. And they're going to, you know, they're going to improve their lifestyle. VCs are okay. Here's my money. You know, what's your business plan? You know, we're, we're looking for a flip in three to five years. And now it's interesting. It's actually happening in, in our area. So private equity groups are now running around purchasing orthopedic surgical practices now across the country as well. Mm -hmm. And that's also a relatively short term play for the private equity people. However, it's maybe a really good long-term play for the orthopedic surgeons and that there's value in your practice. Now you have equity in your practice. It now is worth something, which it wasn't before. Like literally when you're done as an orthopedic surgeon, they put you out to pasture at 25 years. You you don't walk away somebody buying your shares and you you know you're good yeah. you basically retire and then they find a new guy to take your office, exactly. so in that concept you know so there's look I mean VC private equity you know is the is the fuel for innovation and and change uh, but it's 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 the primer it's not the long term you know solution uh, hopefully your whatever company whether they stay private or go public you know, has the long-term capacity to then sort of take off and do well. But, you know, look, I, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a difficult, it's a difficult time. It's a changing time and it's a, it's a time of opportunity. You know, we, we hired this guy, Matthew Ray Scott. I was a little talking, talking about it before we call him the beard. He's a vegetable eating bearded one. Like the <laughs> dude is like a former, a former army ranger. He's got more stories than I don't even know what. And it's just, it's awesome to listen to him talk because, look, I'm an orthopedic surgeon. I know I'm an entrepreneur. I know I want to change the world and the way in which we do things in the pain space. We can talk about that. Yeah. But but I'm not an expert at marketing and being able to network and be able to figure all these things out. And so, you know, when the bearded one talks and he says this this, like, Two-minute thing, I'm like, dude, I, I'm not really sure I could have ever said that, but thank you for being on my team, you know, <laughs> and stuff like that. And next thing you know, you know, we had this other marketing group before, and we were getting a little bit here and there, but it was really organic growth. It was us meeting people on LinkedIn and that sort of thing. But we hired this guy, and like within six weeks, we wake up every morning in our calendar thing, which people we've never met before are literally there's three new leads that want to open an ortho laser we've never connected with. We didn't message them. They found us. So it's not good enough to just have a great idea for technology. You need to be able to partner with people. You need to potentially get money from VC to be able to do this. Then you have to figure out a way to message, to let people know that what you have is worthwhile. Uh, And then you create that networking and building and you have success and you have failure but you keep moving forwards. Our species wants to keep moving forwards. And Absolutely. I think that's so important.
0: So. Yeah. 100%. 100%. Yeah. I want to I talk about, man, you got so much cool stuff going on because, number one, I, I, there's this, you were testing out. So we're going to talk about ortholaser and we're going to talk about all that. But you've done a lot of things with ortholaser. You've done. Um, you've been treating COVID with ortholaser during the Rona, <laughs> which is, which to me is
1: like the coolest. It's like I'm like, why did not more people know about this? It's yeah. the most frustrating thing and the yeah. most amazing thing that yeah. I've done in my in my clinical uh, career. Can we talk? Let's talk about this. So, yeah. what is
0: ortholaser? So people know what it is, and yeah. then let's talk about like how you what you've been doing around the Rona.
1: All right. So ortholaser. We're at the big Laser Centers is a franchise model where we're putting in MLS M8 laser technology, which is the state of the art technology that basically helps to, uh, as a, a very powerful anti inflammatory. I mean, and on the first day, God said, let there be light. And so, <laughs> you know, literally, literally. <laughs> gonna,
0: we're making a quote out, that, out of that. No, totally. To
1: be, but it's true. Like, like, we're using light as an anti inflammatory to help heal. Uh, and it's so funny. People look at me like, you're full of shit. What the hell is this laser crap, right? I'm like, okay, dude, do you know about photosynthesis? I'm like, do you remember high school? Do you believe? Oh, yeah, I believe in photosynthesis. Of course I do. I'm like, right. The light comes down onto a tree in the springtime. Next thing you know, you got leaves. And we're like, you know, get rid of carbon dioxide and making oxygen and all that good stuff, right? So why is it a leap of faith to say as a species living on a planet in our deepest part of our genetic code, that we would have things that are sensitive to light. Mm-hmm. And the case is it's true, and we do. And so there's these proteins and enzymes in the Krebs cycle without getting too deep. But the bottom line is like cytochrome oxidase, if you remember from from Krebs cycle, yeah. is a photocrobe. I mean, mm-hmm. if you shine the right light on it, it gets excited and it does more stuff and it makes more energy and all of these biologic things that happen. Bottom line is um, that laser can be used to help with pain, and inflammation. Mm. And so that's how we're using it in the orthopedic space. We're opening up all over the country. It's really exciting times. We can talk about that too. But so one day I'm like, I'm sitting, you know, I'm in the big, bold world of a pandemic. All of a sudden, the fro does not really have much purpose in life, right? (laughs) You know, it's like, okay, the world does not need an orthopedic surgeon that specializes in knee and shoulder right now. You know, we need like Virologists, we need you know people that are making vaccines and stuff, you know. So I'm sitting at home and I'm like, "All right, let's let's figure out some shit to do here." And, and yeah. you know, and then I started putting my head together and I was like, you know, the laser works amazingly well for acute inflammation. So if you have an injury, if you roll your ankle, if you break your knee, you know, you develop pain and swelling. Hundred percent efficacy on on acute inflammation. So then yeah. I said to myself, self, you know, like, what is COVID? I mean, COVID is acute inflammation that's gone crazy right yeah so i was like wonder if you know if we could like try the laser i'm like you know it doesn't hurt people it's incredible safety profile over a decade um and so i said you know let let me let me see so i called the hospital and so they put me in touch with the irb which is the institutional review board which is the every hospital has one it functions as the fda locally to decide whether or not you can do a study And they said, Scott, that sounds like a wonderful idea. We're all behind it, except for one small thing. You know, we're going to need to get a little bit of advice from the FDA on this thing. (laughs) I said, okay, I'll call the FDA. So we picked up the phone and we called the FDA. And six hours later, they called us back. Uh Unbelievable. I mean, for anyone out there that's listening, I mean, the FDA doesn't do anything for six months. I mean, but they were incredibly responsive, yeah and and how they were able to pivot in the pandemic to really be you know incredibly responsive to new concepts and ideas
0: wow. So, so, so they, cause they were interested in, you know, figuring out something that's going to cure the rope.
1: They were taking any and everybody's call, right? Long, whatever you okay. got, you know, you're going to, you know, pre- you know, Trump was like, we're going to inject, you know, bleach into the veins or whatever it was that he wanted to do. <laughs> oh or, right. You know, some crazy shit, <laughs> yeah. but they're like, we'll take, we'll listen to anybody. And the, and so that's what it was. And the guy calls me yeah. back and I'm like, all right, he's like, okay, send me the specs of your laser. Yeah. And over six day of email back and forth, he sends me this miraculous email that says we've analyzed everything at this point and we're comfortable that this is a non-significant risk laser device. And you can go back to your IRB with that information. Wow. So IRB looks and says, okay, you did your thing. It's, wow. it's, it's no, it's low risk. That's a process that takes how long usually. Oh, months, months. years, you months. know, depending on how it was, we did it in six days. Wow. Unbelievable. Un- incredible. So,
0: so then, you know, like, I was wondering when you were telling me about, you told me about this months ago. I was like, Damn, that was fast. How'd you get moving so fast? It was
1: just, it was just I mean, the whole, the, still when I tell this story, it's t- Mishagas. And I don't know Mishagas is it's a Yiddish term for, for crazy. Yeah. Like, it's a crazy story. Like, how do you pull this shit off? So I'm listed in clinicals.gov as the primary investigator of a COVID-19 pulmonary study. And I'm an orthopedic surgeon that does knees and shoulders left and right. Yeah. You know, so it was it was remarkable times. So then I get into the hospital. We got approved for 20 patients. The hospital wound up saying, we'll, we'll let you do 10. So we, we we put five in the treatment group, five in the control group. Mm-hmm. And this was this was bad times. And you, you know this too. Yeah. I mean, this is April and May of last year. And people are dying. Oh, peak of it was there. the peak of it. People are dying left and right. It was yeah. the lowest morale I've ever seen in the hospital in my 30 years of practice. Basically, they it's were treating patients with oxygen at the time. There was no... There was no real treatment. They were trying all the different hydroxychloroquine and yeah. all these remdesivir was whatever, you know, but there was nothing dramatic that was doing anything. And these poor nurses and doctors were just yeah. downtrodden, you know, yeah. it was really depressing. And so we brought the laser in and it wasn't easy. I gotta tell you, because the hospital pushed back hard. Yeah, They're like, what is this thing? We've never heard of it. Yeah. How can you possibly treat our patients? Where I was hoping it was gonna be the exact opposite. Like yeah. we have nothing else that's working. You know, yeah. this is it's a hail mary, but you know, let's give it a try. Yeah. You know, yeah. And so I'll never forget it. We signed up the first patient, and uh, just a sweet guy, sick guy, been in the hospital for like two weeks, and uh, we trained up this the nursing. The hospital was fantastic. I mean, they gave me they gave me ten nurses and, and staff to man the laser so we could do this treatment protocol. And uh, first patient gets signed up, and we roll him onto his stomach, and the laser goes. It's a. It doesn't touch the patient. It's a robotic laser. It just goes yeah. back and forth as a scanner.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And he's he's lying down. Is can we
0: just yeah? So like let's focus that yeah. description because I've seen the pictures of it. So sure, it's just like a laser. It's a light. It's, it looks like an infrared or like a red light. The
1: red the red light is just there so you can to make sure you're going in the right place. The laser is okay. near infrared, so you can't visualize the laser. Yeah, but the the lights to guide if you will. Okay, but okay. it's a mobile scanner, like almost like a scanner to supermarket. Yeah. Except it moves, yeah, and so it transmit the laser in the pattern yeah. of which is the and it looks
0: almost like a portable X-ray machine. It does. Something. It yeah.
1: rolls out on yeah. wheels. It plugs into the wall.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay, yeah. so
1: talk about talk about expense of treatment for a patient. This freaking thing plugs into the wall. It's a, it's one penny of electricity to run this thing yeah. for the treatment of the patient compared to what does rendezvous cost? I mean, right. it's crazy value. You yeah. know, as we get, but anyway. So the bottom line is. The laser rolls in, we're in full PPE, you know, PPE, we're gowned up, the whole thing. And the dude rolls over onto his stomach. He's got a pulse oximetry, he's about 90 for those listening. That's, you know, he's having a hard time breathing. He's not oxy. He's on six liters of O2 Mm -hmm. and he's oxygenating at like 90%. So he's not, he's he's not doing great. Mm -hmm. So we roll him over onto his stomach and we start treating him. And then anybody that listens to pulse ox, you all know, it's like, it's got a noise attached to it, yeah. so it tells you, you know, where the patient's going. And we're hearing da, da, yeah, da, 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 and the freaking. 0 2 saturation is climbing, you know, before yeah. our eyes. Yeah. Now one of the things that people say, oh, it's because you yeah. put them prone, right? right?
0: I was gonna so I was gonna say that. I was gonna yeah. say, is it what did you like keep them prone for for a while and watch the We
1: put also- them put so so yeah. the studies are clearly shown you need yeah. to prone for 10 to 12 hours to get real oxygenation improvement. It's not an immediate event right. rolling from your back to your stomach. Right. And so that was one of the negative things that we got from commenters who reviewed it. But the evidence is very clear. I mean, these patients are on their stomach for 28 minutes. Right. Okay. You're not, you know, within five minutes of him turning onto his stomach, you know, and the treatment starting, you can see his pulse ox improve. And he's telling you, I can breathe better. Yeah. In the midst of the treatment. That was a very unique phenomenon that we were a little surprised about. Uh So basically you do 14 minutes per lung field Mm -hmm. and you do it once a day for four days. Yeah. And that freaking guy left the hospital on the fifth day. Wow. And we have chest x-rays that show in 4 days that their infiltrates were dramatically better. That's amazing. And you know, do you guys plan on doing more studies with this or It's been so freaking frustrating dude. I mean, like yeah. I am still not published on the clinical trial yet. I mean, yeah. we have two case reports that were, were published cuz we wanted to get them out quick, uh, which has been great. They were peer reviewed and they've been you know, they've been read thousands of times all around the world because laser despite its its uh uh its its lack of usage here in the states is incredibly you, you know uh, prolific around the world. In yeah. Russia, for example, has a very low mortality rate associated with COVID. Laser has been a part of their initial protocol from very early on. It's actually in their written state manu- uh, uh, manuscript as to what the treatment protocols are. Yeah. And so we've had some studies now come out of Russia. But for any for whatever reason here in the States, it just hasn't really taken off. And so we're really yeah. excited about the opportunity to be able to share that but the paper's hopefully going to be published, you know, within the next three weeks. I'm, like, hopefully, like, waiting to get an answer any day. Yeah. Um, and so it was just an and the the, the – let's talk a little bit more about it because it's like, dude, I'm an orthopedic surgeon. I'm like, okay, so I, I go to the FDA. I, I get that shit taken care of. Yeah. And I'm like, all right, we're going to bring this thing to the hospital. But I'm like, how the hell Why? Do what dose am I supposed to use? <laughs> I'm like, I do this shit on, like, knees and hips and shoulders. I'm like, I don't know what to do. So I pull yeah. out the Google machine, and I'm like – Laser and COVID, (laughs) I swear to God. And sure enough, uh, Sohila McMulley and Mariana Vitrizi, who Mm -hmm. had just written a paper on the theoretical use of laser for COVID because of, you know, the worldwide. Yeah. And uh, they're up in Canada, their MD-PhDs. I DM her on ResearchGate immediately. She gets back to me within 20 minutes. I sent her the specs of my laser and she's like, oh, no problem. She's like one of these super smart people. And she's like, this is what you got to do. Yeah. and she sends it back to me and I plug it into the machine and yeah. it comes up to the right number she's like go use it you know yeah. so so she had the study she had the the, the concept I had the yeah. laser yeah. and we got connected
0: well so like this is really interesting to me because what you know we inject we do drug studies all the time right and drugs you know act pharmacologically within our you know systemically within our bodies and they can have all sorts of effects on the body like the laser is obviously a direct therapy. It's it has a direct effect. It's not systemic, and it sounds oh. like it's pretty low. Like, what are the potential side effects or down? Like, so, what could potential? Like worst case scenario, what is the what is the worst that could so happen? So the
1: worst. So there, there really isn't a worst case scenario for our laser unless maybe the laser broke midstream or something, but. Yeah. The, the beauty of the laser that we use and is exclusive to our ortho laser facilities is that the technology that was created by the laser manufacturer also laser, it's a pulsed laser. It, yeah. does, it goes on and off 1500 times a second. So most if wow. you, people think about lasers, they think about hair removal, they think about tattoo removal you know these are things that generate heat okay and they work very superficial to the skin. And there's been some injuries, and there's been a lot of reported injuries from those. So the medical boards across the, the country in particular are very specific as to who can use a laser and who can't. Mm-hmm. The thing is, these are therapeutic lasers. They're not treatment lasers. They're not cutting people. It's not ablative. Right. And so it's a very different technology. So it never, never gets above three degrees Celsius, which is why the FDA gave me the green light to use this thing again, okay. you know? And so... It's incredibly safe and effective. So you have this incredibly safe and effective device that's already in pain clinics across the country mm-hmm. that you could literally pick up and move into a hospital and start doing some treatments on. It's inexpensive as can be. You just plug it into the wall. Yeah. But nobody knows anything about it. When people don't know things, they're not willing to try things. Yeah. What do you think people need to know to give it a try? It is highly safe and effective, and the FDA yeah. has reviewed it on a number of different times. That's not even it. It's just the concept. I was not taught this in medical school. It's not in my curriculum. Mm -hmm. And so, therefore, I don't know anything about it. So, you know, why am I going to try this? But, you know, Rami, people are desperate. I get Mm -hmm. an email or a call now once a day from people from all over this country who have loved ones who are in the hospital, in the ICU, who are not doing well looking for treatment. And they use the Google machine and they find my name for my case report. Mm -hmm. I got a call yesterday from a veterinarian. Uh, in Idaho, whose brother was in the ICU, and he's got an equine laser, MLS technology, the same technology. And he's like, doc, I want to bring it into the hospital. You know, I'm like, good luck. I mean, you know, the biomechanical engineers, can you imagine? Oh, you took this out of the horse barn and you (laughs) want to bring this in? But I mean, the veterinarians use laser all the time. That's what's really remarkable. That's one of the major reasons that I fell in love with laser. Right. You have a dog or a cat or a horse and it can't walk because of arthritis or tendonitis, and you laser them. They don't have a job. They don't have secondary gain. You know, they basically either feel better or they don't. Mm-hmm. And so over about 60 to 70 percent of veterinarians across the country use laser. They use it perioperatively so that they don't have to give the dogs and cats medication anymore. They just laser them immediately post-op. They have no pain and swelling. They use it for old dogs and cats that can't walk because they have arthritis. Mm-hmm. The, the Cornell Veterinarian School uses it at the equine the center. I mean, it's just yeah. impressive. So it's been incredibly frustrating to have this tool, right? And I'm wanting to use it, and we're encouraging people to yeah. reach out to us, start a study, we'll yeah. give you the laser. You know, just we'll donate the laser. You don't have to even buy the laser. You can do yeah. the study, we'll give it to you. And we can't, you know, can't get through the door. Be able to get people to do this research.
0: Wow, why why has there been so many less bar- bar- barriers for veterinarians? Is it just because it's being tested on animals? Yeah, because they can you know they're being used. It's being effectively used on it's animals. Incredibly effectively
1: yeah. used yeah. on animals, and so I've got veterinarians that were were my patients. Yeah. And I said, go use your machine. You got knee
0: pain. Go use the machine yeah. on you. And they got better. They're like, okay, yeah. Is it the same, is it the same kind of technology or similar? There's a, m-
1: a bunch of different lasers that are out there that are available. You know, it, I don't want to get deep into the whole laser thing. There's mm-hmm. classes of lasers, class 3B, class 4, and pulsed, and, and all this other stuff. But uh, at the end of the day, there are other viable lasers other than ours, but they're typically handheld. And they can generate some heat, so you got to move them around to make sure that the patient's not going to develop an issue. Yeah. With our laser, you don't have to do that, but there are MLS, veterinarian lasers. There's a, sh- a ton of them that are out there that the veterinarians are using, you know, routinely across our country. So they've proven it. It's in the veterinarian world. Lasers are standard of care.
0: Yeah. Huh. So right now, if someone wanted to do a study, they could.
1: We tried to get we tried to get northeastern to get involved to do a study here in town, and again we were going to help out with the lasers. And there's just some financial issues about getting the study done. It's like a million dollars to do 20 patients to do something wow. like this. It's like the amount of money that's required, the amount of time and energy that's required to. So it's like who has that money? You know, is it? Yeah. the so It's usually you know, it's one of the big pharma companies, the big device companies.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So. It's been a struggle to to get these things up and yeah. running.
0: But isn't that one of, that's one of the things that's, that's like one of the things in medicine where it's like, if something, if there's not like pharmaceuticals, for example, if there's not a direct map to making a lot of money, it's not worth it for them to invest in it. It's that like, we're not That's like the thing we can create. We can create a bunch of really good band-aids because there's money in the band-aids. Yeah, no, no, no.
1: You're, look, there's, there, you know, at this point, right now, if lasers became, if they took off, the, you know, the laser manufacturer—I want to be clear—I don't, I don't have any financial interest in the laser manufacturer right. or the laser distributor. Yeah. So I don't, I don't make money on lasers. That's just—I'm yeah. not into that space at all. I have a franchise that basically creates yeah. healing with the use of the lasers. Yeah, yeah. You know, and so that's where my financial interest is. But you know, as far as laser is concerned, you know, okay, so we've got this laser for Rona. Mm-hmm. which, and not only that, dude, I forgot to tell you, we're using it for the long haulers. So wow. well, we're happy having...
0: with long COVID. Long yeah. COVID syndrome, so patients
1: yeah. that have these unexplained continued pulmonary symptoms well after they're contagious yeah. and they have difficulty breathing. We've had great success treating the long haulers.
0: Well, what, let's, that's really interesting. Let's talk about that. What, like, like how, what are the symptoms that long haulers have? And then how is the laser? Shortness, of,
1: shortness of breath, you know, uh-huh. hard time breathing, hard time talking. They can't even talk because uh-huh. they can't gather their, their breath very well. Uh-huh. Um, and so uh, they have tried on everything. Inhalers, they seek all the standard you know, treatment options, and they're not seeing you know, significant improvement. Uh-huh. And what we're doing is lazing the lung fields, just like we were doing at the hospital, but we're doing that in our, in our centers now. Yeah, And the patients are, like, improving with the second and third treatment. They're breathing better than they breathe, breathe in three months. Oh, that's amazing. So, so it's like it's not just it's not just COVID now, right? Yeah. Why not COPD? We had my, my office manager's brother, mm-hmm. okay, has acute asthma, had an acute attack two days, three, four days ago, mm-hmm. was popping his inhalers left and right. He's got nothing. He's still wheezing. He's still tight. We stuck him out of the laser. When he was done the laser treatment, after 28 minutes, he was asymptomatic.
0: Well, let' Okay, let's talk about something real quick, because I think, so the mechanism of the laser works by reducing inflammation. Correct. Correct? That makes perfect sense. And a lot of the long COVID syndrome symptoms, the reason that they are prolonged is because there's some form of either scarring or inflammation in the lungs that's, uh, you know, uh, creating... Uh, you know, like it, it's it's, it's interference. It's, yeah, I interfering almost, between the oxygen. Uh, yes, the blood brain barrier, not the, the blood alveoli barrier, and you know you're not able to get as much oxygenation. Correct. Um, so that makes sense if that's due to inflammation. If the laser works by reducing inflammation, you're essentially making it easier to breathe, and that can be a you know a, a secondary effect. And if you think about what we use. Uh, bronchodilators for, or steroids for, it's to reduce inflammation in the lungs to make COPD easier, uh, to make asthma easier, um, and like that. I mean, the physiology, the makes technology sense. makes it great. We're
1: rebooting sense. the system is I think right. what's happening. So there's this for whatever reason within the inflammatory cycle, mm-hmm. you know, these cytokines and bradykines are basically still pumping out, and so they're and they're creating this chronic inflammatory condition. And what the laser does is it's sort of, it's really complicated. I don't want to dive too deep in it. There's things called inflammasomes. And basically they create and make, uh, there's pro-inflammatory cytokines and there's anti-inflammatory cytokines. And the laser has a tendency to make the anti-inflammatory cytokines, which then blocks the production of like interleukin-10, for example, which is a very Mm well-known mediator of inflammation within the lung fields. And so we can block the formation of, of the uh, IL-10, so therefore the inflammation then gets turned off. So you're turning it off at the cellular level, at the basic level. Wow. Uh, and so that's really the basic science, and that's behind well studied. It. Well studied.
0: So I mean, it makes perfect sense. Well then.
1: studied. It makes perfect sense. Is it yeah.
0: only? Is it studied in just particular parts of the body, or
1: there's great pulmonary studies that have been done across the world at this point right now, and a success with the treatment of COPD and asthma. It has just not made its way. It's just not across mainstream the, yet. It's just not mainstream here. Yeah. And so it's been a struggle to, but. I will tell you this, it's interesting now, you know, these pulmonologists are frustrated, Mm -hmm. okay, because they know that these long haulers aren't getting better despite all of the arrows in their quiver that they're using, the traditional arrows. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you know, when I called the primary care doctor of a couple of these chronic long haulers, they were like, really? I'm like, really? And then, you know, the patients do the talking. I mean, we haven't done a study yet where we're going to monitor inflammatory markers pre-post we look at oxygen levels pre-post. I mean, there's this. It's an, It's not a hard study to do. Right. Yeah. It, sounds it really straightforward. isn't. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. I mean, there was just another paper that was just published about cardiac inflammation post-COVID, right. where you know a lot of the echoes on these chronic long haulers are showing, you know, cardiac inflammatory condition. So should we be lasering the heart? You know, I mean, again, I don't know. I'm just an orthopedic surgeon, healer of knees and shoulders left and right. So, you know, we need need some help on this shit. But that's my point. And every post I make when I talk about this stuff, it's always the same. I'm like, look, we know it was a small study, okay? This needs to be studied more. So let's go. Let's get this thing going, man.
0: I mean, the downside, I mean, for me, as someone who is a little bit adverse to taking medications, and injecting things into my body, I'd rather have a laser pointed at my chest that I can, you know, look at and say, okay, well, we know that this is just directly going to be right here. I've looked at the studies. I feel like it's safe. I'd feel more comfortable with with that, you know, rather, rather than taking uh, some drug that I don't know what potentially other downstream effects will have on my body. It's a
1: real easy conversation with patients. Yeah. You know, Hey, you know, I can do the cortisone shot thing. I can give you these oral anti-inflammatory medications, you know, mm-hmm. or we could try the laser, you know, I mean, it, oh, doc, it's not, you know, yeah, I mean, I've done the research. The mm-hmm. thing works, you know, it doesn't hurt you. The only problem is, is that it it's a patient pay model for laser right now because no, none of the insurance companies pay for it. CMS yeah. doesn't pay for it. Commercial payers don't pay for it. But, you know, look, at the end of the day, you know, so whether it's the chronic long haulers, you know, so in the hospital setting, obviously, hospital, buy the frickin' laser, stick mm-hmm. it in your ICU, right? Because it's not just COVID moving forwards. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's getting people off ventilators. There was a study out of Brazil that just showed a two-thirds reduction in getting people off of the days of the ventilator with COVID. Mm-hmm. They used a laser in Brazil, reduced uh, ICU stay by, by two-thirds. So mm-hmm. that's a whole nother indication. So yeah. there's so many d- potential applications for the laser outside of the orthopedic space. So, but my job, my, you know, my thing right now is I'm the laser dude. You know, I'm trying to tell as many people as I can. Thank you for letting me have another opportunity here, my brother. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, you know, to be able to get this out. And it's funny, you know, ortho laser now, let's talk ortho laser for a little yeah. bit. So, you know, I'm the chief medical officer, was the founder of this thing. And we're franchising across the country. And, you know, we're really doing well now because, you know, doctors are, are seeing the new reality of of this post COVID thing where their patient volumes are down. Patients don't want to have surgery right now. They want to postpone. They don't want to go to the big white building with sick people. You know, they're looking for outpatient solutions, non-operative stuff. And so I hate to say it, but even the revenue cycle for many of these doctors is down Mm -hmm. because they're just not as busy as they were. And so they're much more open to the idea of, you know, new revenue streams. And I always say, whenever we sit down and have another conversation with one of these orthopreneurs, like, this is the most amazing opportunity that you have, right? Because, you know, OrthoLaser was really born out of opioid sparing. It was really out of the opioid crisis that I really was looking for right. an alternative solution to pain management, right? Mm-hmm. I said, you can open a business that's going to provide an incredible service to your local community, okay, that's going to allow you to be successful and to be able to heal and treat patients, providing them an alternative to opioids, as well as surgery and all these other things. It's a real... It's a real win-win you know, situation for everyone, right? You feel really good about it when you go to bed at night, even though this is a business where unfortunately the patients have to pay out of pocket for it, but you're literally making them go so they can go back to work and so that they can heal and be out of pain. I mean, right. patients are looking and, and really looking for alternative treatment solutions as we move forward. So it's yeah. been really good for us. In our growth, you know, strategy yeah. and what we're seeing across the country. I mean, culture.
0: it makes sense, obviously, because orthopedic surgery, any kind of orthopedic surgery, there's a lot of post-operative pain, and it's not, you know, I've I had my wisdom teeth pulled, and I thought that was the worst pain of my life. You um, can
1: absolutely laser people after wisdom teeth. I mean, TMJ, yeah. we're lasering people for oh, really? TMJ and having good success cool. as well. I mean, it's it's laser light energy. It's not like, you know, yeah. they're actually they're and and what's really fascinating is that there are laser studies happening just about every major medical school right now. They're doing you know laser studies for for concussions and for you know, for memory loss, things like that. So they're lasering the brain in some of these people to you know yeah. see what kind of effects they're getting. Um, you know, I don't want to sit here and say, you know, I feel like I'm up on the soapbox and I'm selling you know, snake oil. No, but, no. you know, the point is is that, that, you know, we've been doing this long enough at this point where we know, number one, it's incredibly safe. Yeah, There's not a single reported incidence of, of someone having a complication with the use of our MLS laser. Mm-hmm. And the efficacy is just being borne out, you know, day by day. We opened up a center in Milwaukee, okay? Yeah. And, and uh, it, Bill Pennington and his wife, Joanne, who runs it, and they have five partners in their orthopedic practice that opened this thing up. In the first month, they basically did, I don't, I'm not even sure the volume of patients, but it was through the roof. They initially bought three lasers. In the second month, they bought a fourth laser. Wow. At the end of the third month, they bought a fifth laser. And At the end of the fourth month, they just signed a contract for, you know, five more laser facilities in Wisconsin. Wow. So what's great news for me now is that it's like, okay, it's not just Sigmund yapping about the laser, Right. right? We're now having, you know, clinicians across the country who are be able, able to talk about their experience. And doctors are funny, you know, they, a lot of times you get people hanging up on the, you gotta show me the level one randomized controlled data for me to do stuff, right? Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, really, mo- a lot of what we've learned is experience-based medicine. Mm-hmm. We're definitely, evidence-based is important too. I don't wanna, I don't wanna take that away. Mm-hmm. But, you know, to sit there and say, I'm not gonna do something until there's a level one randomized controlled trial, You're not going to be able to practice a lot of medicine because by the time that comes out, there's typically something else that's new and different Mm -hmm. that's also going on.
0: Well, well, just look at the alternative. What's the alternative to doing what you're doing? Then, like, it's a no-brainer. Why would we – opioids are so dangerous, and opioids have caused a huge epidemic in this country and led to multiple deaths and led to, uh, like, just a number of really bad things. And why were we so easily – to adopt opioids way back when, when whatever, who was it that did it? I can't remember which college it was or which university that first came out with that study. Oh, yeah, yeah. Purdue or
1: something. It was a Purdue Pharma, but there was, a I think she may have been in New York or or not, but she wrote, like, this one-sentence thing that said, opioids are not that addictive, and then basically Purdue ran with it, and then, you know, we were all schnookered. I mean, even in your lifetime, though, in your training, opioids were much more we knew a lot more about the dangers of opioids, but let's take, let's roll the beam footage back for me. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I'm in 1995. Um, I'm here in Boston. I'm training at the Tufts program. It's 1991 to 1995. Here's what I was told. Hey Sigmund, you know, look, you little intern rant, runt, run you, man. I don't want to be woken up in the middle of the night. It's like, <laughs> it's like <laughs> I can't remember my chief resident pulling me aside and saying, listen, man, you can call me at any time. Seriously. If you have a problem you call me anytime but just remember it's a sign of weakness. It's <laughs> <laughs> so true, man. right? It's still true to this it's day. It's still true to this day, right? That's the, the shit that we deal with as we go through our trading. But we were told like, dude, you got to re- give them 60 pills, man. You, you, who's on call this weekend? You want them to be woken up because the patient was out of pain medication and it wasn't it wasn't evidence-based. We didn't know what it was just this. The shit that we do hurts. It's orthopedics. You have a responsibility to make sure these patients are out of pain mm-hmm. and we're going to use opioids to do that. Yeah. And it took me a really long time to understand that the people that were addicted to the medication were not bad people. But that's no, the culture. Absolutely. It was the culture. It was like, yeah. "Oh, man, that dude just got addicted. He's he's on the pain medication list, you know, you can't give him any more pain medicine." But at the end of the day, we created it. I mean, the, the gate, the, the operating room became this sort of inadvertent gateway to the opioid crisis because they're just so incredibly addictive medications. Mm-hmm. And I always like to say, I mean, you know, addiction, you, you don't choose addiction. Addiction chooses you, you know, yeah. if you're the genetic profile that says that the opioid receptors go crazy when you have this stuff, yeah. then you're going to get, you're going to be the one. And it could be a rich kid, a poor kid, a black kid, a white kid. It doesn't matter. Yeah. You know, if you're the genetic profile for it, you're going to get the disease Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's been, the culture has changed dramatically at this point. And we're, we're really, we've made a huge difference. There's so many great opioid alternatives that are out there right now. And for me, and you know, that's how the whole story started for the laser gig. I mean, Mm -hmm. I got a call from my, my partner, Ryan Mooney, who was like, Scott, you know, I know you're big into the opioid space. You should try this laser. We've had great success with it. I tried it out. It was like, it worked. And I'm like, well, we need to. Why is this not in the hands of more people, man? This can really positively affect, you know, the solution to this opioid crisis if we can get this in the hands of more people. So it's been, it's been the mission. That's what we're doing. And the good news is we're, you know, we're doing better. We're not. We're still got. I got guys in my group that are still writing for a crazy number of opioid pills. I mean, the message has not completely, you know, percolated all the way down. But the good news is. The residents and the fellows and the medical students are being taught yeah. about the addictive potential of opioids and opioid alternatives, and now so so it's ingrained now into their training that this is super important. So mm-hmm. we've got that sort of middle space group of mm-hmm. some of the older docs that really haven't transitioned yet. Yeah, but but soon enough, I think it's going to be pretty much the standard.
0: Do you think it'll be something that will be affordable for for either covered by insurance or? You know, like, for example, I worked in a, in a FQHC, a federally qualified health center, you know, like refugees and um, a lot of patients are like essentially the underserved and a lot of patients in a lot of pain, a lot of, you know, I think, I think half my job has been um, treating addiction, um, mostly through the Suboxone program. Yeah. Um, And so, and so I think that a lot of people in that community may end up benefiting from treatments like that, especially people that have, you know, chronic pain, so low back pain, knee pain, you know. Um.
1: And the worst thing you can do is start an opioid naive patient with a chronic illness mm-hmm. and start them on opioids. Because yeah. if they if they aren't one of the acute deaths that happens early on, then you've created a chronic opioid
0: addiction. Yeah.
1: And I want to be clear to everyone that's listening here, because mm-hmm. I get this shit a lot of times now. There's these opioid zealots out there mm-hmm. that like need to have still opioids in their life, and yeah. they and they will pound on social media for per- people like myself because they feel like I want opioids eliminated from the earth. Mm-hmm. And to be perfectly honest, I mean I I'm not against opioids. I'm against opioid addiction. Mm-hmm. And so you know what my role my role in life is as, as you know this opioid sparing zealot is to try and prevent the next wave of people that become addicted to the medications. I am not about taking opioids away from people Mm -hmm. that have have developed a chronic opioid addiction uh, that has been iatrogenic in nature most of the time, or for people that have cancer or other things that really require the opioids to exist. So I'm not about, and the last thing I want people to have to do, and there's been a lot of this that's happened, these primary cares and pain management specialists have been like, putting the brakes on on opioids and trying to get these people off way too fast Mm -hmm. and they crash and burn. Uh, And so I'm not against opioids in the appropriate setting, but I am against opioids in the setting of acute, you know, surgical intervention in in making sure that we, we minimize opioid addiction in our population. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's a great goal. And uh, it's, it's, it's like, I think it's you're, you're, you're trying to do something for the betterment of society and it's it's um you know i think that i think we need to have more things that aren't just a quick fix that's just a pill you know like the pill is the quick fix in our culture and we need to start thinking outside of the box and um and at least giving things a try you know and things that are, have a, like a good risk-to-benefit ratio, which it sounds like the laser has.
1: You know, it's just it's just so hard to break through culture. Like, for example, like regenerative medicine, mm-hmm. you know, PRP, platelet-rich plasma, or stem cells. There's a lot of real good science coming out that these things are effective. Mm-hmm. But the insurance companies are not paying for them. And it's a patient pay model for these types of things as well. There was a great study that was just published it was an rct taking a look at platelet rich plasma versus a cortisone shot for longer term uh, pain relief for shoulder rotator cuff tendinitis and the prp one mm-hmm. and so but the problem is is that you know patients have to pay for it yeah and so it's the same thing for laser right i mean you know when is cms or these commercial payers going to pay for these things mm-hmm. uh, and i can tell you right now they don't have enough money to pay for the shit we got yeah yeah much less looking to pay for stuff that's new and I, my, I get ratcheted down now every day by peer-to-peers, like this peer-to-peer thing. Like, okay, I want to do surgery on this patient. You've got a rotator cuff tear. I've yeah. documented everything. But the insurance company makes me get on with a doctor in Dallas, Texas, <laughs> and I've got to tell him about this. And then he finally says, okay. And I'm like, you know, it's just become it's become – there's so many roadblocks, so many difficult ways. Mm-hmm. So the idea of getting something approved for – insurance payment is, yeah. is a decade-long process, if not decades-long process. So wow. we're going to pop out some studies, though, man. We're excited about this. We're yeah. seeing these great results, and we'll, we'll, we'll demonstrate some stuff. I have a good friend, Donnie Buford, who's down in Dallas, Texas. And the really reason I respect him so much is that he really straddles both worlds. He's an orthopedic surgeon, mm-hmm. uh, but he's also a big believer in regenerative medicine and all the things that can be done. Yeah. compared to like a lot of people who are one or the other. Mm-hmm. And he just did this awesome study. He took, the, well, take, took a look at the five major orthopedic journals over the last two years and did an evaluation of the level of evidence of what the what the journals are producing. These are the top orthopedic journals in the world. Mm-hmm. And so level one is what everybody says, I'm not going to do anything until you show me. Level one, randomized control data. Yeah, uh, Level three evidence is the vast majority of the articles that are being published in our top orthopedic journals at this point. Hmm. So if you're one of these clinicians, what about
0: across other specialties? Well,
1: I I, I'm, I'm assuming it it may or may not be, I don't know. So I, I I wouldn't even be able to comment, but within the orthopedic space, level three evidence from the top five journals. So when I talk to someone and they say, well, I'm not going to use this laser thing until you show me the level one randomized controlled trial. I say to them, it's been a pleasure talking to you and you know, we'll, we'll catch you on the next round. But I I actually honestly believe that people that think that way, and I'm going to say this out loud, I think they're actually almost cowardly. Um, They don't want to have change because change requires courage Mm -hmm. and change requires, you know, energy. It requires, you know, extra time and, and and make getting you into the spot of being uncomfortable before you get to mastering something to be comfortable again. So many, many physicians hide behind that and they don't change and they'll stay continuing to do what they do for decades until eventually they get forced out of business because the young whippersnapper comes in and is doing all the cool new stuff that works as well. Now I'm not saying that I want people to just sort of everybody jump into the water first. Right. You know, there's, there's, there's innovators and then there's, there's, you know, and then the early followers, early adopters, et cetera.
0: Well, it's interesting you say that because, because medicine is, we all know it's incredibly resistant to change in any direction. Um, It's part, it's like always 10 years behind in technology and everything and, it's like, why, why, why? And I, I've always kind of like, you know, just when I'm thinking about stuff, I'm like, why is it that medicine, why is it evolved so slowly? Like, is it because all of the barriers or is it like a cultural thing where we just don't know how to adapt quickly enough and try new things? And I think it's like a mixture of all things, but I think that also, um, because there's this so much structure and like insurance and this and that, it's like, There's no room to really try new, innovative things. It's like, why, for me, it's like, why is CGM still not mainstream? Like, continuous glucose monitoring. Like, there's already companies doing this where, like, they're, you know, like, you're able to track your blood sugars throughout the entire day, see what you're eating and how your blood sugars are affected. And, like, it's like technology like that. Like, you want to really get a handle on diabetes, put everybody on CGM and let them see what is going on with their body. But like technology like that, to get it into like the actual medical sphere, it's like, why are we doing this every? They why just, are we doing this with everyone? Just
1: doctors hate change, and it's so incredibly frustrating. You know, yeah. I mean, there's not a single operation that I do anymore that I learned in training. I mean, yeah, it's just the nature of, it, of what we do. You have to be able to to make change. But you know, there's the concern. Look, at the end of the day, first you know, do no harm, and so you know, a lot of guys are you know, am I gonna like? We're operating on people you know, and you're taking care of people, right? And if you harm them in a way of trying something new or different, obviously that's a major concern. And Absolutely. so, you know, but we have societies, we have things like that that help us to make those decisions about what's right or what's wrong. But at the end of the day, I think that, that, you know, the experience-based medicine of being able to communicate with each other about what works and what doesn't work is, is really important. And we don't do enough of that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, yeah, there's so much. It's like, my mind's just thinking about all the ways in which medicine could be done better. And it's a, you know, like for me, one of my one of one of the things that really interests me and like what I want to do in the future is solve some of these problems in healthcare, especially around the whole, um, especially around problems that doctors face in general and practice. Um, the things that hold people back from. Being the best doctor that they, they that they can be, and and living a life that's um, that's their own making in a way, um, it's really why like I was drawn into this whole direct membership based practice care where you can um, you know essentially have patients sign on with like a gym membership for for you as a doctor, and like for reasons of autonomy, for reasons of flexibility, for having control over your life, and being able to have a direct relationship. There, there's no interference from a middleman. Um, it's like that new way of thinking about medicine and 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 kind of creating that experience on a more mainstream level. Like really interests me, and really like you know, I I think I want to push that boundary and see how far I can personally go with that, and how like how far I can encourage other doctors to go with that.
1: No, we were talking about it before we came in. You know, we're sitting here in this really cool workspace, and uh, there's a lot more. Docs that are really considering the sort of concierge type medicine program where instead of, you know, being hospital employed, you know, I'm going to have a panel of 500 patients and I'm going to take care of those patients and they're going to have my cell phone and I'm going to take care of their family members and I'm going to be available for them to be able to do all those things. And so I love your business idea where you would basically have something like this, where you'd have a common area in the middle. You could have your office that's totally private, but yet you don't have the crazy expense of opening up 5,000 square feet on your own. Uh, And then you're also in a communal area where you can actually eat. If there's other doctors, you still have the opportunity to run things by people. Exactly. as a collaboration, community, community, Mm -hmm. those sorts of things. So- yeah, man. He's got some big ideas here, people. <laughs> you listen
0: and he's got investors. He's meeting with lawyers. Uh, no, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. He's an entrepreneur. <laughs> he's an entrepreneur. It's all good. Keeping it all under wraps for a little bit. But um, but you know, like it's exciting for me. It's exciting to be able to do something that's um, you know, that's that's gonna really make a difference um, in, in 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 doctors' lives and in patients' lives. And I really believe in the doctor experience matters. Um, I think that if we're going to solve healthcare, we got to solve this fundamental issue of, you know, having providers that want to show up to work and not get burnt out. Um, you know, like, I think it's one of the things that's at the root of, of our crisis.
1: Well, you're doing good. I mean, this is as a fellow podcaster, you know, that's my other hat that, yeah. uh, that I like to wear. You're, you're bringing very important issues and very important people with their stories to the forefront Uh, And communicating in such a way that it's interesting, it's fun, it's not boring. And so, you know, as one of your earliest investors in the (laughs) podcast, I don't know if you remember, but I I was like, I really love what you're doing. And I'm like, dude, I'm just writing you a check. Yeah,
0: you were honestly, you were. (laughs) You were. Yeah, I remember talking to like some of my team members when we were doing this. I'm like. Like, dang, we're onto something here. Like, you know, like we can actually, you know, go buy a new logo or like create a website now, you know, when awesome. I was still a med student.
1: So and, happy that I was able to do that for you. And you know, honestly,
0: that's what I love to do. I mean, you it's you know, such a great it's, idea. It's one of those things that I'll never forget, honestly, because um, and I think like that's one of the things like I try to also remember as well. It's like when someone like when someone shows that they believe in you or they do something nice for you, even like in that just gest- that gesture that you did when we talked when I was just a medical student sure like to me to that to this day like that stuck with me and it it meant a lot because it was like wow like you know like I just did something just purely out of like the love of doing it to try and help and do something like good for someone you know like I just wanted to put I, after recording the episode I was like I just want to put this out let I was like team let's put together some great stuff let's make this go viral and and you know like it, it kind of was almost reinforcing to me in a way that like, when you try to do things for the right reasons, you do good, like people, people will, you know, also do good back to you. Like, it's like, you only get what you give.
1: hundred percent, you know, great way to live. You know, I tell that to my kids all the time. And I think it's so important that when you try ventures, whatever it is that you're going to be doing, right. You're an expert in what it is that you do. Right. And you exactly. have this, the, the doctor, you've been there, you're doing this sort of thing, but you know, collaborating with other people that you can partner with that can really help to get your message across. So for your listeners that are out there that are thinking of new ideas, don't do it all yourself, you know, and definitely expect some failure along the way too. It doesn't happen overnight. We still get, you know, it's two steps forward, one step backwards. We're uniquely designed species where we want to keep moving forward. So we're going to keep doing that on our end, but you know, I've got this Awesome CEO, Mark Malenkoff at Ortho Laser uh, and my partners, Ryan and Greg, you know, and then at the Ortho show, I've got Ben and Meek and Heather, who are my partners there. And then we collaborate with, you know, Matthew Ray Scott and, and what he's doing and all of those things help to elevate all of us and help yeah. all of our games. So, you know, it can be daunting to try and start something new. Uh, but if you, if you stay focused and you partner with the right people uh, you can keep moving forwards and you can make a difference on the planet. And that's yep.
0: what we're all trying to do. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, I think collaboration and, and you know, like finding, finding a purpose is, is for me, like the, like, I, I like to be working towards something, you know, like I like to see the big vision and see what's possible and and try to do that. And, and. For me, that's what's exciting. Like, that's what I want to do with my life. And I want to try and have a positive impact and, you know, meet the right people along the road. And I, you know, like, you know, it's, it's, you know, like I want to do well, I want to be successful, but it's more about just the, the, it's about the possibility of doing that, you know? It's like, you don't know if you're going to actually be able to do it, but it's like, if it's, the possibility is enticing enough for me.
1: (laughs) I like to listen to my voice. Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, your voice is going to sound great on this. Podcast. Yeah, my,
1: my wife and uh, my nurse practitioner, my children will definitely all attest to that for sure. But uh,
0: well, you were made for this, Doc. You 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 are an entertainer for sure. Yeah,
1: well, you know, it's it's fun. I really absolutely look forward to it, and it's uh, it's also it's a, it's a job too, man. I mean. It is. i whiteboard the shit out of every one of my podcasts i mean really you know i i know everyone inside and out like we just taped uh asif. Oh, i just wing uh, it yeah you just you're you're a wing <laughs> no, i know i got a fucking whiteboard man and like and like it's got like every every freaking detail i had i had asif Ilyas on the other day who's a opioid superhero scary superhero that at rothman clinic you yeah. uh, know he's like he's so he's really accomplished and he's got all this shit that he's done i mean and then he was talking about getting his MBA at Brown, and he was the president of the Philadelphia uh, or the, the Pennsylvania Orthopedic Society. And I said, well, there was one more really important thing that happened in 2019 while you were doing that. He's like, really? What's that? I was like, well, your son won his flag football championship that you coached. He's like, how the hell did you find that? <laughs> 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 there is no stone unturned That's for the hilarious. fro.
0: <laughs> Well, no, I'm actually kidding. I don't really even get, but I actually try to not plan too much. I try to, I just, I research my guests. I know as much as I can about them. Um, And then I try to have like a direction of what I want to achieve in the podcast. And then I just try to have fun with it. Like you got to have fun.
1: man. You got to have fun. It can't be scripted because then people
0: know it's scripted. It's got to be natural. Yeah. Yeah. uh, I'm not trying to be like, so Dr. Sigmund, uh, (sighs) tell me about why you went into orthopedic surgery. Yes. (laughs) So
1: we, we we got some great advice actually because we were thinking about what was happening at the Ortho show. We're growing organically, but we're like we're coming along, but it's not as as fast as we wanted to. And and the vegetable eating bearded one gave us some great advice the other day. And he's like Scott, he's like I want you to turn. I want you to I want you to pivot 15 degrees to the right, and then I want you to pivot 15 degrees to the left. Yeah. find the most amazing nurse practitioner out there in the orthopedic space and, and talk to that, find the CEO of a company in the orthopedic world that would you know really be interesting. Find a medical device rep, you know, so not just the doctors, but reach around mm-hmm. to try and increase your, your catchment and, you know, area to get to a broader market. Great advice. And so we're going to try and follow that if we
0: can. That is, that is really great advice. I think I, um, I think i i I try to bring on on this podcast you know like for a while i was like not so focused i just wanted to bring on doctors and give them a platform but i think what i'm really beginning to find out about myself and the direction of this is that i like i like guys that are innovative that are you know trying to do something exciting or you know entrepreneurial in a way because it connects to a part of my personality that i really like um and like i like i like this kind of free i like i like being uncensored and unbarred and out of the box you know like i don't want to like i'm so sick of the medicine box you know of like trying to stay within the lines and present this persona of professionalism that so often is like constraining in a way it's like we're not we all have lives too like we're all normal people we can drop an f-bomb too you know like your doctor drops f-bombs it's okay yeah you know
1: uh, not according to my wife, but that's okay. Uh, no, but you know, I'll take it even another step forward. Yeah. Okay, so you know, when, as a clinician, right, you can only take care of so many individual patients. You have a yeah. day. You know, some people can see twenty patients, some people see seventy patients, but that's what you got. Yeah. Right. So when you have ideas like this, and you're and you're thinking about change and innovation within the medical space, what happens then, which is incredibly gratifying, is you're helping to change the lives of patients you'll never meet. Right. You're going to improve their quality of lives. Like I can't even imagine how many, you know, in the opioid sparing world I've converted. You know, they say I'm evangelical when I get up on the, on the box. I'm like, hallelujah, yeah. baby, we're going to go opioid sparing. And, <laughs> and, but, you know, we've, we've got these, these doctors who are now taking care of patients that I'll never meet that are practicing opioid sparing philosophy and saving lives. Absolutely. And it's the same way in your, the business concepts that you're thinking about, whether it's worth a laser as an alternative treatment to be able to help people as well. But when you, when you expand outside of that intimate doctor-patient relationship, there's really a lot more that you can do to help influence very positive things for patients, right. you know, down the road that you'll never meet.
0: Right. Yeah, we're all creating ripple effects. We're creating yeah. down, you know, like having a good intention, uh, you know, it, it, it creates, and you're, you're affecting people. You, just like you said, like you'll never meet the people that, you'll never meet the person that you might have saved because instead of them being started on opioids and potentially going down a route of addiction, they are, you know, never gonna meet that destiny. Yeah. So
1: really cool stuff.
0: Yeah. So that is that's you know, props to you, Dr. Sigmund.
1: Yeah, man. Well, you know, I don't even know how I got started, but it was just uh it's become a passion and it's just such a it's so amazing to see that so many people have, you know, grabbed the torch and yeah. have moved forwards and, and really making a difference on the planet in the
0: short time that we have. Yeah, definitely. Well, um, I think we've been talking here for quite a bit. Yeah, dude, I think we I got think, I think we wife I think your wife's <laughs> yeah, looking I, for you. I wanna to
1: check to see if, if the house burned down. <laughs> you know, I'm getting all kinds of messages now.
0: Um uh, well let's uh let's you know, let's let people know where they can follow you and <laughs> then some stuff in the show notes as well, and we can go
1: from there. Yeah, man, you can find the fro everywhere. It is not that hard to follow the fro, which is my hashtag, by the way. But, you know, certainly on LinkedIn, we've got a great presence there, Scotty A. Sigmund, MD. Uh, we're on Facebook for the old people, all over the gram as well <laughs> with all those youngsters that are out there. And apparently now... I am a member of the Clubhouse.
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh. And, and interesting things are gonna come on Clubhouse. We I think so keep, too. Keep we're gonna keep out.
1: we'll have to come back and do another episode just on the on the evolution of the Clubhouse, oh, and we're we'll all spending yes. some time there. Yes. We'll and, do that. Uh, and also Scotty Sigmund MD, and just come and say hi, man, anytime. All right. Pleasure, Doc. Love you, man. <laughs> I love you, you. too, man. <laughs> <All right>. Awesome. <laughs>